0: hello and welcome to the sensibly speaking podcast this is chris shelton your host thank you very much for inviting me into your home again this week and as you can see i am joined once again by my dc lawyer friend cyprian ivanov hi cyprian welcome back to the podcast hello
1: again Uh... And we're discussing how the case is actually proceeding not just what evidence might, might be argued about or uh all the normal things in a trial let's remember that the jury trials are especially hard for lawyers to handle because there's a whole bunch of very specific rules about what you can tell the jury uh how you conduct yourself in front of the jury and right. it's, it's a whole different skill set than for someone arguing in front of uh, an appeals court or just a uh, bench trial. That is a trial with only the judge as a finder of fact.
0: Oh, absolutely, it's a whole different yeah. skill set. That's right. That's right. For sure. And uh, and we are jumping right into it here. So let's go ahead and clarify what we're talking about. This show is about the Danny Masterson trial that is uh, now finished week two. of of its process. There have been a couple of Masterson's accusers who have gone on the stand and testified as to what happened to them and uh, how they were assaulted by Danny Masterson, a Scientology celebrity VIP, who, uh, if you have not been keeping up on my channel or Aaron's channel or Tony Ortega's reporting, this is a pretty hot case because it involves the Church of Scientology in a more than uh, you know, marginal way the, the the staff members from the Church of Scientology were involved in um, sort of tamping down or or negating or or if you will, even covering up for Danny Masterson's uh, assaults. And so that's been part of the case, which is why I and others have in the ex-scientology world, Have been following it so closely and with such avid interest is uh this is not just a um sexual assault case although that all by itself is horrifying enough there are four accusers in this trial three of them former scientologists who were connected with danny masterson and scientology at the same time in various degrees of relationship with him and then they went to the church for help Uh, after being assaulted and uh, or raped uh, that is the term they're using so i will use it Um, and the church took actions to uh, suppress and stop them from coming forward going to the police making official reports about it and that kind of thing and this has come up through the testimony and as what has also come up in the testimony is that Scientology to this day has continued its campaign of stalking and harassment against these witnesses these these victims uh in an effort to intimidate them silence them bully them and uh keep them quiet and it is not working but Scientology is sort of a one-hit wonder it doesn't really know anything else to do except follow L. Ron Hubbard's playbook and as a former Scientologist of many decades I and wealth aware of what that playbook is. We've talked about it and described it in some detail on this channel. So I've invited Cyprian on this week, <laughs> getting back to uh, my guest now, <laughs> uh, because he is a lawyer and he, you and I, Cyprian, have had many discussions about various aspects of Scientology and its ethics and justice system. In fact, if I remember right, uh, one of the first things you and I talked about that you reached out to me about was discussing the ethics and justice system of Scientology. and we have uh, done many videos and discussions breaking down and talking about it. And now we see a live court case happening in real time where this system of this really overseeing, authoritarian, very controlling system is being utilized to try to shut these women down. and now it's it's finally coming up in a court of law. Scientology is not on trial here. Danny Masterson is, but the Scientology actions to his actions to his criminal actions are kind of adjacent, and so this has been featuring as a as a pretty big plot point in the case. But uh, as we were discussing beforehand, now getting back Cyprian to you, you mentioned that so far the first two weeks, based on the trend, you know the the transcriptions that Tony Ortega has been reporting on. That this looks like a fairly typical case for its kind. Is that, is, did, did I get that right?
1: I mean, the specifics of the case are somewhat unusual, and that uh, there's a larger time gap from the, when the alleged incidents occurred to the date of prosecution, also in terms of the facts alleged. That said, the lawyers are presenting their case as you would expect them to. Mm. What makes this a little different is that uh, it's a jury trial, mm-hmm. and the rules for how lawyers act in front of jurors is are—it's it, a whole other skill set. You yes. have a lot more cautious use of language, a lot more— uh, careful wording so that rather than just presenting a judge a piece of evidence, you have to verbally establish why you're bringing it in, uh, presenting it to the jury so they can see it, uh, then presenting it to the judge. Right. There's a whole lot more, I won't say showmanship, but uh, there's a whole bunch more little, hard-to-remember rules. Right. Arguing in front of a jury is a skill that is not taught to all lawyers. Okay. I did take a class in it, but it is very a very unique skill. And a lot of law firms uh, have a couple people for whom that is their entire job. Right. It's not just an ancillary part of a lawyer's job.
0: Right, right. Well, it has been as a layperson uh, who does not spend a lot of time. I'm, you know, here uh, reading court transcripts or getting into the nitty gritty of how try, you know, cases are argued. This has been a very educational experience for me. I've been reading, of course, Tony Ortega's reporting where he's transcribing basically what's happening because no cameras are allowed in the courtroom for what should be obvious reasons, given there are anonymous rape victims, you know, on the stand and their identity is not uh, broad public knowledge. Uh, some, a couple of them are, and a couple of them have been reported on and, and doxed by the defense team in some fashion or another in the media, but that's not proper what was, you know, what was expected. And so the anonymity is being respected of these, of these victims. And so there's no cameras in the courtroom. We are only hearing about this through Tony's reporting and he's been doing a real stellar job on the ground there of, of reporting on this. And so it's been educational for me to see once again, and I've said this so many times, I feel like a broken record, but I really just can't get over how different Real law in a real courtroom looks and feels and and flows versus what you see on TV. You know you, and for example, one thing I'll mention here is that the is what you just mentioned, there are only so many things. It's a very limited set of questions and even answers that can be given in front of a jury it's so controlled i had no idea that the judge could control the language to such a tight degree or that the or that the lawyers would be admonished for straying into this territory or that territory and and you don't see in the transcripts the actions the language the you know the movement of the lawyers or even how they sound so all you're really getting are the words and then there's been some supplementary reporting where tony has podcasted or talked afterwards about the nature of the discussion or the interrogation or how the lawyers acted and looked and, and felt and, and that kind of thing. So it's been kind of putting these things together has been very interesting, but it's also been frustrating for me as a former Scientologist, knowing how deep that well goes to see how muzzled the witnesses have to be, the, the victims rather have to be when they're testifying as to what they even can say about their experience with the church and its staff. It's just been interesting. I'm not criticizing it like it's wrong, but on the other hand, it is a little frustrating. Do you have anything? Do you have any comment for me on that?
1: I mean, the point of a trial is to deal with a specific allegation, not to make a general judgment as to whether it is generally good or bad. Mm-hmm which is why evidence of other wrongdoing is generally not admissible unless there is a specific reason to mention it.
0: Mm. Uh, and in for this example, state- O.J. Simpson. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: O.J. Simpson had committed domestic violence in other incidents. Mm.
0: There was a prior record that of it. Could not be
1: admissible in dealing with an allegation of domestic violence or uh, murder, espousal murder, uh, unless it is to prove that he knew how to strangle people or that he uh, was in a state of mind where he thought he could get away with it. But you, evidence has to be more
0: probative than prejudicial. And, and what is that? Define what that it, means for the audience. Means, yeah.
1: When it comes to evidence... Prejudicial evidence does not merely mean that it's uh, unfavorable. It means that it is more likely to cause people to make a judgment before having the requisite facts, that it is likely to be misleading
0: pre before reasoning. Mm. What would be an example so we, of that? What would be a clear-cut example of prejudicial evidence?
1: Uh. In this case, uh, in any case. Uh, the critical issue here, well, one of the issues is, uh, did Scientology uh, prevent these women from speaking uh, to the authorities about what happened? Yes, that's right. Evidence about what happened in the whole or uh, the way people are declared would be prejudicial.
0: Okay. It does not relate to specifically what is being uh contested okay got it and so when you so i'm still a little confused about one thing you said which is probative that's not a word i'm familiar with so when you say evidence must be probative what does that mean
1: um enlightening
0: oh okay it has to it has to reveal facts or make the picture clearer
1: right it should reveal more truth than it is likely
0: to mislead people got it Okay. All right. So, fancy way of saying it, saying that. I get it. Um, okay. Fair enough. Well, it has been interesting. And yes, I definitely do not expect or never expected to see anything about the whole or other, you know, savory, sensationalistic information about Scientology entered into the, the testimony. But even hearing about what the women were told by Scientology officials and specifically by, say, the chaplain at Celebrity Center International, the ethics officer at Celebrity Center International, the ethics officer over at AOLA who had his fingers in this pie quite a bit. That's Julian Schwartz, a man I used to know and uh, and spoke with many times when I was in the Sea Org. Um, so these are, you know, that even those conversations or those directions or handlings that the women received at the hands of these people and they were quite, you know, uh, ruthless in telling these women, according to their testimony, at least, and I believe them, that, um, you know, that, they're not to, that they are not to call this rape. This is not what that is. You cannot, in fact, be raped by your boyfriend. That's impossible. And that uh, your job, as his girlfriend, one of these women were told, by the chaplain, Uh, your job is to give him sex whenever he wants it, because that's your exchange for living in his house. And he's the one, he's the breadwinner, you know, and this is pretty, pretty outrageous stuff. Unfortunately, not isolated just to the Scientology culture, but it's very much there. And so we hear about this and see this as reasoning and justification to tell these women that they are not to report on this. They're not to say anything about it. And in fact, what happened to them isn't really what happened to them. Standard cult gaslighting 101. It's 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 rife throughout Scientology, and these are just more examples of it. But um, but even there, they are limited in how much they could talk about or describe that. There really were only little snippets uh, able to be given on that in their testimony. There's no, you know, like what surprised me was there's no long narratives. In their testimony it's question answer question answer question answer very clipped very short this is the question i want only that precise answer and you are not and it's not okay tell me what happened and then they go on this long story like you see on tv well, i trusted him and i this and i that it's short and to the point and i and i again i'm just i'm saying that that was not something i expected to see
1: uh there is a lot of there's a lot of danger in letting a witness ramble on because <laughs> the odds of them saying something impermissible or accidentally damaging increase exponentially right so ha- ha- one of the basic types of jury prep of sorry witness preparation is to tell them to be short And to think about what they're going to say, because otherwise, if they just ramble on, uh, they could bring in something that is uh, uh, prejudicial or that would uh, completely destroy their case or look like it was destroying their case. Mm, So the better thing to do is to tell the lawyer what happened and the lawyer plans out the questions that brings it out without running the risk of uh, the person destroying the case by rambling on and bringing in something else.
0: Right. And that makes sense. Like I said, I, I, I get it. It's just so different from how it's presented in, you know, movies and TV. So the expectation of what you're going to see versus the reality is always such a stark difference. Have you noticed or I have a question I have for you, and I'm sure this is a question a lot of people have watching this trial is there a chance, is there any sort of precedent or chance of, you know, the testimony that these women give about the wrongdoing of Scientology? Would that ever lead to any sort of criminal attention being thrown in Scientology's direction as a result of this trial? Or would that, is that just a fantasy that, that is just, that's never going to happen?
1: Uh, I mean, there are election witness tampering
0: mm-hmm. at the very least. Mm-hmm. So that so, could result in sanctions or, or charges or, or investigation, at least, into what's up with that?
1: Yes, but here's the thing. That, mm-hmm. that would be very hard to prosecute because of how closely it is intertwined with Scientology doctrine. Mm. You can't prosecute a person's morals. You can prosecute behavior, but finding out... Uh, Uh, the dividing line between them is a a very specific uh, and intensive process.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. So
1: what they did was quite, if they were simply giving a moral evaluation, that is one thing. If they are trying to pressure a witness into not testifying, that is quite another
0: Right. So... Right. Well, they have shown now, at least here. Okay. In the pretrial, they showed, the judge saw, the exact Scientology justice codes, which prohibit a Scientologist from going to the police or testifying or or even showing up in court to testify against another Scientologist. And that those rules were used to, you know, keep these women from, from moving forward or reporting to the authorities what had happened. It'll, I, that has not yet come up in the testimony during the trial itself. Do you see something like that coming up or coming out as, in this? Or do you think that's even necessary to go there? I'm unsure what you're asking. Oh, well, so far, so far the actual Scientology scriptures, as written in the book, Introduction to Scientology Ethics... That's in the evidence. That book in whole is, is there to be referred to, but they haven't referred to it yet or really done much of anything with it yet. So I guess my question is, based on what you've seen so far of the first two witnesses and how the testimony has gone, do you see it possible that that book might come back and be opened up as part of what's going on with these women and their mindset? Because so far, all the testimony about Scientology has been to give the jury the mindset that the women were in and they are going to great lengths to make clear this is not a judgment about whether scientology really does this or not it's these women thought that that's what was going on or what was going to happen to them and therefore that's why they didn't go and report these rapes much earlier to the police that's kind of what i get is being done in this trial so far so i guess i'm just wondering how much deeper they can or will go, and I, I'm just asking your opinion about that.
1: I don't know if uh, the Scientology uh, ethics book will be brought to the jury. Uh, most of what I saw was basic was focusing on the police reports,
0: right. Right, and that's mostly and been for the, that's been there, the that's defense. Just, They've been trying to poke holes in the women's stories using the police reports.
1: Yep, and there that just went as expected. Right, yeah. Um, I don't know if they would try to make a big deal about the entire ethics manual. Uh, but I would strongly suspect that uh, uh, they might reference a few paragraphs of the, uh, of keeping Scientology working. A few paragraphs. Mm. Uh, at most. Right? It's okay. a very high risk thing to bring it up.
0: Yeah, I don't. And yeah, um, I don't see them going in that direction particularly.
1: During voir dire, one of the things that was specifically an issue was did the potential jurors uh, feel biased against Scientology?
0: Right. That's a, that's a more, fancy word you use there for jury selection, by the way, uh, to the audience out there. <laughs> he was referring to the jury well, selection process. <laughs> voir dire, voir
1: dire is jury selection. It's when you have a of bu- of potential jurors get interviewed and selected and there's a variety of different rules for it right uh and the goal is to find jurors that are not biased in favor of any given side and one of the acknowledged goals is to make sure there aren't people with specific knowledge of the subject matter right so it's so that it is entirely dependent on the evidence provided and the persuasion by the uh, parties in the case. Right. Not people coming into it with their own ideas.
0: Okay. So let me ask you about a couple of things. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say there? So if there's, say, a nurse that has
1: dealt with uh, rape victims, uh, that would be very worrying if they're on the jury.
0: Right. That's right. And and, they're, and, they're, and they and there's and it went pretty quick as far as whittling their pool down and getting to jurors who did say absolutely attested to the fact that, no, they could be impartial in this. They, they, they were not, uh, you know, hampered by viewing Leah's show or going clear or anything like that. They had an objective view or could hold an objective view of this. And and I guess they get taken at their word when it comes to the jury selection process with that. Yeah.
1: Largely, yes. Um, I mean, uh, uh, ostensibly, there's supposed to be ways to weed out if someone is horribly biased, but a lot of it just comes down to asking people questions and hoping they're telling the truth. Exactly. And you have a number of preemptory challenges. Um, uh, Sometimes the parties can say, For whatever reason, I don't want this person on the jury. So they can exclude people based on are they impermissibly biased or if it is part of their automatic, uh, we don't want these people on the jury cards. Right. In this case, I mean, look, it's California. Presumably everybody there has heard of Scientology. Well, Uh, so the big struggle is are these people impermissibly biased and that really just comes down to
0: how good they are at compartmentalizing right there's only a few comments here and there about this in the reporting but tony definitely has um noted in a few places and i've been impressed by this that judge Almeida, the the woman in charge of this whole thing uh the judge is very uh one knowledgeable uh very very much a uh, seems very scholarly definitely dives into the case law but she's also very good at moving things along. Like she is very no nonsense about this. She wants this thing moving forward, and progress being made on a daily basis. And they've already seated a jury, gotten witnesses. I mean, they're two weeks into this thing, and they have gone through a couple of the uh, victims' testimonies so far. They brought a couple of police in, uh, a couple other uh, corroborating witnesses, and. Uh, Meanwhile, as uh, as noted elsewhere, the Harvey Weinstein trial down the hall is still figuring out its jury. Do you note? I mean, do you did you notice that, or anything about the judge that seems to strike you as unique or different about her approach to this? That she's like kind of moving this thing along. Is that unusual or? Is the slow train the unusual part of the of 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 what we're seeing? It, it
1: really depends on specifics.
0: Mm, okay, so it's because no, there isn't an judges, average here.
1: I mean, some judges really do have a have a personality that is just go 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 go. I'll worry about the objections later, uh, and that's possible in some cases. Uh, I would. I strongly suspect the Harvey Weinstein trial is being held up by a whole bunch of objections by a legal team that is substantially more competent than Scientology's. Mm. Uh, so there's likely to be a lot more difficulty for the judge if the judge decides, eh, I'll disregard the objection and keep going.
0: Mm. Somebody described... So, uh, I, I, mm-hmm.
1: But then there's also personality. Some judges just like to uh, lean back and listen to the arguments and rely on the particular parties to raise objections or to point out misconduct. Interestingly, based on, the, on some of the notes that uh, Tony Ortega made, she seems to be taking direct control of the courtroom, yeah. which may be especially necessary in this case. Yeah, I noticed so, that. So uh, yeah. this may be her deciding not to take any guff and deciding to be much more brief with the parties than would be tolerated in a much more high-profile case.
0: Mm. Well, it is interesting it, that, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> again, as noted elsewhere, Los Angeles doesn't I have will a long... say that, uh, <laughs> Uh-huh.
1: More than three days for a trial like this. Uh, somebody must have had a compelling argument, because a lot of trials actually get handled in a lot less time than this is. Than this trial is being allocated. This trial. So.
0: Four four accusers yeah. to a, a, of a of a celebrity VIP, and this trial is taking longer than usual. You're saying? This is taking longer than an ordinary, break case. Really. With 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 multiple accusers, huh? Uh, yeah. Okay, that's interesting to me. I I wasn't uh, I didn't think about that too much. I thought we were moving along at a pretty good clip, all things considered. I mean, Almedo is is without I mean, relative question,
1: to all the objections, Scientology is trying to raise. Yes.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're objecting to every other thing. But there's also been four requests so far. Four, six requests. For mistrial?
1: <laughs> I mean, I mean,
0: uh,
1: one of the notes was uh, the judge specifically addressing that.
0: Uh, I mean, is, that's that's unusual, and, uh, right? For a defense to just keep begging for a mistrial.
1: Yes, that is unusual. Okay. Okay. Um, I. I Strongly suspect that is Scientology just trying to buy time. Yeah. Oh, well, at least I think that's what the justification of the Scientology lawyers are. Right. What I think they're really doing is trying to run off the bill. Oh, you do. Or buy okay. more time for witness intimidation. Uh-huh. Or to try to grab together any spare witness they can. Uh, because that gets back to one of the things that's really
0: mind boggling for me
1: in a case as high profile as Danny Masterson, where's all the, where's all the defense witnesses?
0: Yeah. Bring the, talk about this. Cause you mentioned this before the show. What are you, what are you looking at there?
1: Uh, the witness list, uh, uh provided by Tony Ortega, uh, has quite a, a few witnesses for the uh, for the prosecution uh, a bunch of uh, LAPD officers the Jane Doe's uh, uh, and while well, Jane Doe 4 is mentioned she is not uh, her allegations are not being tried here. H- whose? Jane Doe 4 Oh okay another victim yeah uh, this is about the cases of three Jane Does,
0: not not the fourth victim. Oh, did I get that wrong? Uh, uh, I was. I thought there were four accusers in this trial.
1: Uh, she's not part of the. She is being used as a witness. Not as she's not. Her case is not being handled here right now.
0: Oh, got it. Okay. Okay, good. Thank you for clarifying that for me and correcting me on that. I, that's good to know. Um, so what was that business about? You, you expected to see a lot more character witnesses and more on the side of the defense in this case? Yes. Hmm. And it's interesting so, that they're not uh, there. Uh,
1: the defense witnesses are Dr. Daniel Buffington, forensic toxicologist, Presumably to deal with the uh, date rape drug uh, suspicions that were raised. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Mitch Eisen, a memory expert, mm-hmm. which sounds a whole lot like psychiatry to me. <laughs> uh uh and let's be clear, eyewitness testimony is notoriously unreliable. So yes. you would expect to see that being contested in uh, a rape case where you don't have
0: a lot of extrinsic evidence. Yes, of course. especially. So, and on this side, on this one, the defense really does have the advantage, Masterson's side does, because the, because of the fact that two decades have passed. In almost every one of these cases uh, of these women, and when they say this happened, and and memory, and do you remember this? And did you say that? And did you say this? And did you tell them that? This is what the questioning is all centered around in challenging these women's testimony: is you know, are they reliable? Did they get the facts right? Or are they actually colluding? And the defense's position is that these women have colluded after the fact to agree on their stories, and then. You know, and change what they said before. That's the, that seems to be what their entire argument is all about. Is that is that what you're seeing?
1: Uh, that is at least the core part of their argument, yeah. uh, which is why the initial uh, LAPD investigation was so interesting. Uh, in that uh, the fact that there was uh, an initial LAPD investigation with a report that can be Uh, used for uh, much more proximate details means that uh, a memories fade with time or evidence disappears with time argument can't be as effectively made. If you've already got reports that were made to the LAPD or in these women's files, uh, then you don't have a significant uh, uh, a memory argument,
0: right? Exactly. So
1: and while eyewitness testimony is notoriously unreliable uh, and decays rapidly with time, a report made within a couple of weeks or months is much more likely to be reliable. And if it is consistently adhered to, that is also some evidence towards the presumed sincerity of that initial report.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. In other words, they're probably telling the truth if they were, you know, trying to make a case out of this back then, and they were. They did. These women did go outside the bounds of of what Scientology directed them to do because they were getting so little help, so much punishment, and and nonsense from the church and from other sources, and so they, you know, in desperation, finally broke free and and went and and made a made reports about this. So a couple of them did. One, I I think that. Um, it's a little confusing as to who did what exactly when, because uh, I'm not—I've been uh, not been diagramming this out on a timeline. But uh, certainly there is, you know, what you just described there. So hopefully the jury well, will I see mean, that.
1: Yes, but it, it's just amazing how few defense witnesses there are.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, on that point, what what do you expect it, to see in terms of one character? toxicologist, two memory experts, yeah,
1: uh, and. And for his assistant,
0: right? Who was who? Whose name has come up prominently from a couple of the of the witness of the victims? So, what are what are like because 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 we're not seeing it in this trial, and we don't, I guess we're not going to see it. What is a character witness, and what role would that serve in this uh, case? And 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 why oh, do you think boy. there there aren't any?
1: Character evidence is um, a very difficult to explain concept. Mm-hmm. Um, at least when an initial, when character evidence was initially discussed in U.S. law, it was around the 1920s, and it had more to do with, uh, does this prove that this guy is one of a certain archetype that is a good actor or a bad actor? uh since then it has kind of morphed into considering is this person generally trustworthy or does this person have a propensity to lie or do other bad acts Mm. there's a lot of rules about what character evidence can or cannot be introduced but generally uh the defense has an easier time introducing character evidence uh,
0: to defend the defendant, than the prosecution does. Hmm. And, uh, okay. So the fact that there aren't any of those kinds of witnesses on the defense list, what what does that communicate to you? What? Because I, I, I don't know why that why there wouldn't be any there. It seems like you'd want to pack them, and it certainly seems like somebody like Danny Masterson would be able to assemble a legion of. People who would go on a stand and talk, you know, positively about him.
1: Uh, what the prosecution is trying to do is to present uh, character evidence that Danny Masterson is violent, mm-hmm. uh, has been abusive towards people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, normally you'd expect that to be contested by, by the defense. Mm-hmm. And you'd normally expect uh, uh, rebuttal witnesses to come in and say "No, no, Danny Masterson has never been cruel to me or mm-hmm. Danny Masterson uh, has always told the truth. Uh, and I mean even mobsters can get in uh, character character
0: witnesses. Wow. Uh, so what does it say for this I mean, case that there aren't any I, of those? Do you, do you have any ideas? It's idea? so
1: easy that it...
0: What's up with that? I don't know why
1: there aren't any here. This is just hmm. really surprising to me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the, the logic for having character witnesses is, is pretty pressing here because that's going to be an important probably one of the most important arguments they can make. I can see a couple of reasons why the defense would not have a bunch of character witnesses. One, they're trying to present the, we're being completely objective here and we're not going to bring in any uh, uh, subjective material uh, and that includes uh, character witnesses and if they're going to rely on memory experts, it's going to be it would be it would weaken their memory expert argument if they brought in uh, witnesses whose sole testimony relied on memory. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. Uh, there's another issue which may be that Danny Masterson may not actually be a very popular guy. <laughs> well,
0: that's the one I jumped to, but I didn't want <laughs> to. <Scientology. laughs> yeah. I didn't want to so, I mean, <laughs> jump to that conclusion. Yeah, nobody likes the guy. You know, <laughs> not, not to, enough to to go on a stand in the in a court of law and actually attest to that fact. You know, that's a, a but I didn't I didn't want to jump to that one. <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, I mean that is just a really small witness list, and I'm just plain um, amazed at that.
0: Yeah. Now, let me ask you this then, and then um, then maybe I think we'll probably have to move toward wrapping up because I wanted to keep this to an hour and sort of just go over some of these key points. I know this isn't like, you know, uh, it, it just it, we're just we're just, uh, you know, spitballing and talking, you know, what ifs here and stuff. What about Danny Masterson taking the stand?
1: What about the Danny Masterson?
0: What about person. Danny Masterson taking the stand? Do you think that's likely, or do you think they'll they'll keep him from from uh, testifying?
1: If he would, it would allow impeachment uh, evidence to be introduced. That is evidence that he may have been lying or mistaken or uh, or a whole bunch of things. Mm. So if he if he takes a stand, you end up with a bunch of other evidence that could be introduced.
0: Oh, and, to, to disprove, to, to react to his testimony? To, refu- right. to refute his testimony. Okay. So, that, so if he so doesn't if, testify, it's probably going to be better for him.
1: It's generally a bad idea for defendants to testify on their own behalf, unless it is part of a carefully planned strategy. Interesting. In this case, uh, all Danny Masterson has to do to win is to prove that the woman's testimony was unreliable. Right. If if he does anything more than that uh, and starts to make himself uh, an issue of credibility, it could very easily turn into a matter of do I trust these women more than I trust Annie Masterson? Right. And that would not play out well for him.
0: No, I'm sure it wouldn't. Uh, I'm sure it wouldn't, especially with these. Uh, yeah, sure it wouldn't. I, I don't know what words he could say to go up there and bedazzle the jury You know about what a wonderful person he is. I'm sure he'll keep his mouth shut. How interesting. What do you see or do you see anything that might um, point to an early indication of how this is going? We're not really hearing much of anything in the reporting about how the jury is receiving this information. There was one report today that one of the lawyers was complaining to the judge after the jury had been dismissed for the day that um, uh, one of them looked like they were falling asleep during the trial. And the and and the the lawyer was bringing this up as a point. Um, other than that, there hasn't really been a lot of commentary about the jury.
1: There's oftentimes a lot of uh, guesswork when it comes to jury reactions, mm-hmm. uh, and some of that is because lawyers want feedback if they they can't tell what the jury is, if they can't even make a guess what the jury is thinking, they're going to be unnerved. That's probably one reason why Justice Thomas gets so much hate, because he he maintains a poker face uh, and doesn't say much during oral arguments. When you're making an argument and you can't see any reactions, all your fears and doubts become much, much more notable.
0: For sure. So, Very true.
1: Lawyers will engage in wishful thinking. I, I'm i confident I can predict this jury, right, man? Come on. I, I really think that I got this because if I don't, I'm just going to be in a bundle of nerves. Right. For the jury, probably the biggest predictor is just how do they act at what uh, year at jury selection yeah. <laughs> when they are relatively free to speak.
0: Right. Right. That's where you'd really want to watch them, yeah.
1: And I mean, uh, trials can be boring, so a juror falling asleep, that's not horribly unusual. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not necessarily a statement as to what they believe about the credibility of the evidence, just a matter of, come on, we've been at this for five hours, I'm just bored as heck.
0: Right, right. Right. And I could see how that could happen because some of this testimony is incredibly dry and some of it is not. I mean, some of what these women had to say was outright tragic and, and even heart rending, but um, heart rending, I should say. But the back and forth and the dates and the times and the this and did you say this and this report and this and this other thing definitely looks to me like it could be um, boring as hell, you know, trying to wade through all that stuff because they keep throwing out dates and times and the witnesses themselves on the stand are saying, you're confusing me. I don't understand what, 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 where are we at now? Because because the way the defense goes back and forth on that. So um, I'm told, I, I've heard, I, I think Tony said this in, in a podcast he did last week that Cohen, the defense attorney, the lead defense attorney is a, has been described as a good lawyer with a bad case. What do you think about that, from what you've seen? Uh,
1: that sounds plausible. Mm. His trying to make an issue of not remembering the dates and specifics of the testimony to the LAPD. It's probably the best he can do with that that uh, difficult fact.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because uh, there's, there's no way to use evidence to refute what these women are saying. I mean, it could have happened. It's completely... You know, with, with photographs of the crime scenes, you know, the alleged crime scenes that, you know, his home and this kind of thing. I mean, all of it's very plausible that it could have happened.
1: I mean, to to when he has to raise enough doubt as to the facts of what took place and uh, uh, that largely comes down to, are these women accurately describing the situation? Situation. Some of that can go to memory, some of that can go to motive, but fundamentally, uh, he has to confront the initial LAPD investigation or whatever documentation Scientology has. And that's going to be really freaking hard. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't think he can win this one. Uh, his best bet is to just raise enough doubt. And that's what he's got memory
0: experts for. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, And yet you have, you know, you also have things I've read from memory experts and and, and what I know about, you know, neuroscience memory myself, that trauma (laughs) and traumatic episodes tend to stick in our memory in such a way that it never goes away. And I doubt that their memory expert will talk about that, but it is a a thing, you know?
1: There's been some serious doubt about the idea of flashbulb memory, but uh, the issue that these women may have been acting in ways that seem counterintuitive to the general population, is something that the prosecution would have to face. Yeah. If, a, uh, I mean, one of the Jane Doe's talked about uh, crawling off the bed and hiding in a closet, mm-hmm. which does not seem normal to some people or the long delay in uh, reporting it to the police a second time does not make sense to a lot of people. That is something the prosecution has to address. Sure. And uh, That is where having a rival memory expert to say, no, 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 no. Uh, These events would not have been that traumatic that people would have acted that way, would be an essential part of the defense's strategy. Yeah. Well, a lot of this comes down to traumatic incidents. How do people react? Yeah. And you can see from the transcript, some of the jury was thinking, hey, uh, the delay is odd. What's going on here?
0: Yeah. So Yeah. Well that's, that's why that's why the prosecution is getting such latitude to bring Scientology into this in the first place, is because that is the state of mind of the women, which is why they didn't go and report, you know, et cetera. So I I hope that's getting across to the jury, because that's very much part of the prosecution's argument.
1: It has to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I, thought, I don't really I thought, see any other kinds of arguments they can make. No, I thought so far they were doing okay with that. Again, I don't know what the jury thinks. I don't even know what any of these jurists look like, but I, I hope they're getting this uh, because there's been enough references to it and enough statements made by the witnesses that it's that it should be clear. There's a whole backstory there with this Scientology involvement and the statements from the chaplain and the ethics officers from Celebrity Center were were. Awful enough that I hope it gets across that they were not getting any support or help, but in fact, just the opposite from their quote unquote church who they went to for help, you know, and we still have to hear from another witness, uh, another uh, accuser. So it'll be interesting to see what comes up next week.
1: What I am surprised at is that they didn't bring the
0: chaplain in. Uh, as a witness oh god I wish they could I really 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 wish they could bring Julian Schwartz in on the stand because I knew that guy and uh Scoggins this guy um Chris Scoggins he's the chaplain and this is another guy I knew in the Sea Org I didn't know him well he wasn't friends of mine but I, I I knew him react you know worked with him So to see their names coming up and see, you know, it would be—I would love to see these guys take the stand. Uh, Their oaths of of honesty wouldn't mean anything to them as Sea Org members. They would they would ignore that very easily, and lie as needed. Um, But I think that um, you know uh, Mueller, the the prosecution team could possibly poke holes in their, in their lives. If they tried that, it would be interesting to see, but it doesn't look like it's, it's, um, uh, it's on the list. So I don't think it, you, you, do you think that such a thing could happen later in the trial? That's not on the list now that we could see that, or is that not a possibility?
1: I mean, there's a couple factors here. One, you have the best evidence rule that if, uh so, if something is being alleged, uh, the the best version of that evidence has to be introduced, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes that means uh, testimony that can be cross examined. Mm. So, if one of the uh, one of the victims is claiming that they were told something, that would mean bringing in the person who allegedly told them that.
0: Right. That's well. That's uh, why the boyfriend or the husband or these various people were brought in. Yeah to corroborate their testimony.
1: So, uh, that is, you'd expect the chaplain or the master at arms to be brought in if uh, they were going to make an issue of why did these women not report for so long? Right. And the jury was told that that would be addressed. Mm. At this point, I don't know if that's really been addressed.
0: Right. What do you think about this idea? Because this may or may not be a strategic point on the part of the prosecution. It's very, very, very likely that if those names of those Sea Org members were put on a witness list or it starts to become clear or apparent that they might be called to be witnesses, that those specific C-Org members would be disappeared, literally sent out of the country. And the the claim would be no one knows where they went or where they are, or they can't be found, to prevent them from going into the courtroom. And such a thing might make the prosecution then look like it had a weaker case if it was going to bring these guys in, and then the church denies access to them. So maybe they're sort of not bringing them in for the reason that they're not wanting the church to, you know, cut them off at the knees on their own uh, case. What do you think about that?
1: Well, uh, the party that causes evidence to disappear has it construed against.
0: But would that but would it even be able to be would the jury ever be able to be told well, we wanted to call this guy, but you know he's out of the country. No, nobody can no. find him. The jury would never even find not,
1: that out not unless there was a, not unless there was already a ruling uh, about uh, the admissibility of that. Mm, okay. uh, and that may be admissible if the if it was found by the judge, that the evidence had been disappeared by the defense.
0: Right. But on the off chance, it might come up in front of the jury. Wrongfully disappeared by the defense. Yeah. But that would be at the end
1: of at least several days' worth of uh, wrangling.
0: Right. Right. It'd be interesting. I'm positive that if that were to be the case, that they would get disappeared. I mean, Julian Schwartz has been a pretty valuable Sea Org member for a number of, of years in Scientology. At least he was up until the point I, I left in 2013 I don't know I can't speak to what he's been up to since then but um, but I he literally told me out of his own lips I mean back in the day when I was um, working with him to uh, as, a, as a management staff member and he was an ethics officer it is still as far as I know at AOLA he told me directly, uh, my directions and orders come from RTC. I report to RTC on most of the cycles, most of the people I deal with because there's an RTC office. AOLA to RTC. Yeah. There's an, well, let, let me tell you, there's a physical office in AOLA, in the advanced organization of Los Angeles, the big blue buildings. At that organization, there is a, a PAC RTC office. And there are two RTC staff permanently assigned there. At least they were when I was there. And uh, Julian Schwartz is the ethics officer, the MAA, at AOLA. He's he's one of the head ones. And he, therefore, deals with the hot celebrity-type ethics actions and handlings and having to shut people up and all of that. And he told me one day, because I was trying to get him to deal with a backlog of people who had been stacking up who hadn't been seen. And I was trying to speed it up to get more people through, you know, through the ethics handlings they needed so they could get onto the OT levels, which is the primary purpose for that organization. It's to deliver OT levels one through five. So his job was to give people ethics clearance. And if they didn't have ethics clearance to, work with them and handle them so that they did so that they could do their OT levels. You don't just pay for them. You have to get cleared to do them. And he's one of the gatekeepers. He's in fact, the chief gatekeeper, but he was always working on these hot sensitive cycles that nobody could know anything about. For example, Jason Begay, one of the biggest, you know, ex Scientology, uh, actor, you know, spoke out about it when he came out. Now he, now he doesn't really talk about it much, but he's on TV and he's just got on with his life, but he was being handled by, uh, Julian Schwartz. And this whole Danny Masterson thing was being handled by Julian Schwartz. And he, uh, made it clear to me that he couldn't deal with all of these public people who were actually paying for Scientology. He didn't have the time for them, because he was being directed by RTC on these very specific hot people that he had to deal with, celebrities and stuff. And so, you know, that connects dots between this case, Julian Schwartz and David Miscavige. (laughs) Like, they're all right there. So I am positive that that's a guy that they would want to keep off the stand uh, at any cost. Because it could end up impugning David Miscavige or his organization thoughts
1: that makes sense uh, while the the evidence gathered from putting Schwartz on the stand would probably not be admissible mm-hmm. uh, beyond this case mm-hmm. he might let slip details. Uh, That might clarify other uh, situations and the information bleed from Scientology uh, would be made even more dramatic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So So, why, why risk it? Right. Why even why even take the risk? Easier to just disappear these people until the heat comes off and then, you know, bring them back when nobody cares. You know, uh,
1: I mean, there's legal ways to deal with that, but uh, it, would, it would take the prosecution to standing firm and being willing to tolerate more delays as the evidence would have to be argued.
0: Right, right. But Nobody wants that.
1: I suppose it might be easier to just negotiate with the defense to you don't you don't raise this issue and we won't try to call this guy as a witness
0: yeah yeah so Hmm. well interesting interesting stuff any other points that you want to mention about what you observed about the case so far that you think our audience might be interested in hearing before we wrap up
1: the issues being raised in the defense are just a lot narrower than i expected Hmm. uh And I don't know how popular uh, Masterson is in Scientology, but I would have expected there to at least be a bunch of uh, witnesses claiming that, oh, yeah, I I heard uh, Jane Doe talk about this, and she said something completely different. I'm not seeing that. That is unexpected to me. Interesting. So... I mean, even mobsters can get someone to lie for
0: them. Well, that's the As thing. Psychology I...
1: probably has a
0: lot less morals than the mob. <laughs> yeah, the, they're about on the same moral plane. I um, I am surprised too. Now that you've brought it up, it's very surprising to me because um, because the way they killed the LAPD investigation, by the way, on on the part of one of these um, victims back in the back in two thousand three or four was, um uh, Four. Uh, uh, back in 2004, was a batch of of uh, affidavits, you know, like, oh, no, no, Danny Masterson's great guy, never did anything like that, absolutely not. Like, there was plenty of people to support him when that investigation was happening to Ted, just, oh, no, there's no way that could have happened. So much so that the LAPD went, eh, okay, fine, we're not going to continue investigating this, and they dropped it. So the investigation happened, and we have the paperwork from that, but the LAPD did drop this case because of, at least that's what's been reported, because of all these affidavits and and testimonials they received from Scientologists supporting Masterson. So the fact they're not doing that now is very interesting.
1: So why aren't they trying that this time?
0: Yeah, don't know. Don't know, except that they want to keep Scientology out of the courtroom as much as possible. So maybe they don't want to bring more Scientologists in there. I, I, it's the only thing I can think of on the limited data that I have.
1: And I'm going to point out that as a defendant, uh, a lot of the time the defense can ask for a bench trial. So if their fear was a jury hearing a lot about uh, the ties to Scientology, that the defense could have avoided that.
0: And what's that, what exactly so a, a bench a bench trial being trial by judge only? Right. So the the point is that you have the
1: the finder of fact and the finder of law. The judge is always the finder of law, but uh, in a jury trial, the jury finds the facts, and in a bench trial, the judge finds the facts. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So if they just uh, bench trials that is just in front of a judge, they tend to go a lot faster. You tend not to have as many sidebars with the, uh, the jury, and you tend to have a lot less risk of inadmissible evidence uh, uh, making an appeal viable. So uh-huh. maybe one of the things here is that they're hoping the prosecution oversteps its bounds, and that allows it to be appealed.
0: Right. Just a thought. Right. Well, plus their strategy clearly is ask for a mistrial at every possible opportunity. So <laughs> they are definitely uh, gunning for that, uh, which I think is a carryover from uh, misero's strategies, actually, their first defense attorney. Um, okay. Well, Cyprian, I want to thank you for taking the time to comment on this and, and help me talk about this with the with the audience out here and uh and for your opinions and thoughts about this i really appreciate i really appreciate it
1: i this did not go the way i expected i expected lots of uh hard to disprove uh a defense witness testimony uh that would result in a whole chain of people being impe- being impeached none of that's happening no and that's given how easy it is to do that Hmm. That suggests even greater secretiveness than I anticipated.
0: Mm Hmm. Hmm.
1: I'm pretty sure the mandate couldn't coordinate the stories enough to make it work.
0: Well, exactly. And then they accuse the women of doing that. Right. Because that's what they're doing. They're accusing the women of colluding and, and agreeing on their stories and stuff. So, yeah, interesting stuff. All right. Well, Folks out there, thank you very much for tuning in, for listening to us gab on about this. I hope some of this was interesting and educational and informative. That's always the goal here on the show. And of course, I want to um, put a plug in for uh, supporting the channel. If if you do find the content here, entertaining, informative, and educational, then perhaps consider supporting the show, either through Patreon, PayPal, Venmo, whatever. Show us some love. Buy me a cup of coffee, whatever. All right, guys. I will see you next week. Bye-bye.